Hi, this is Rodney Lim, owner and clinical supervisor of Advanced Counseling and Communicating Love. The purpose of my podcast channel is to help you progress, overcome challenges, and succeed in those things you'd like to accomplish or learn. Over the last 27 years in practice, as a licensed clinical counselor and marriage and family therapist, I have worked with a variety of clients with many struggles, but I have found there are three main areas that people can use a little help in. Mental health, including anxiety and depression, marriage and relationships, and pornography challenges, and other things that cause difficulties in relationships. Each week, I will tackle one of these areas, so whatever you are struggling with, you can listen to that specific podcast area. I hope to give you real tools and suggestions that work. I hope to educate you on how to support loved ones and how to work on relationships. And most of all, I hope this is informative and helpful to you. Be sure to check out my website, communicatinglove.com, where you will find lots of great resources. You can also join me for a live webinar every Thursday if you'd like to ask questions. Go to my website, communicatinglove.com, for all the information. Now, on to the good stuff. Today, I want to talk about trauma, emotional and physical trauma. A couple of reasons that that comes up. One is as we progress through the pandemic, the COVID-19, and those things changing have now morphed into different riots in different cities across the U.S., and so it's quite a chaotic time in our nation and our lives. And that's on a national level and a personal level or community level, depending on what community you're in. The hope is that things will settle down soon. In the meantime, there's a lot of us that are triggered by all the news media and different things. And it causes some stress as we focus on that, which really is a healthy reaction to all the chaos. However, when we hear that and we feel the stress, the idea is to understand that stress, feel it, understand it, and then release it. The important thing is to not bring it in and hold on to it and carry it around. Carrying around that stress can cause lots of health problems sooner or later. So it's really important to not carry stress around. That being said, a couple of things some things uh, take time to heal from. PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, I'm going to talk about that some. I encourage you, if you don't know what that is, I encourage you to Google that. There's different items about that. But in a nutshell, what that means is when someone goes through a traumatic event, in that moment, their system was not able to process all of the thoughts and feelings and what was happening at the time. So that's what triggers a dissociative response where you may be aware of some things, but there's so many more things you are experiencing that you're not aware of. So after the fact, then you start feeling your body's reaction to those things and start to become aware of your body's and mind reaction to an event, something like that. That comes up today for me because... I had a couple of clients today that uh, had some ghost physical symptoms in their body. One young woman I spoke with this morning, she talked about having sciatica 
nerve pain in her lower back. She's been to all kinds of treatments. I won't name all the treatments she's been through, but it has been several. And all of them come back saying we don't know what it is and they haven't been able to make a difference for her. So we began to discuss the possibility of maybe hypnosis would be the next thing to try out to get to the root of the pain in her back and other health problems that she is challenged with. Physically, nothing has been discovered or understood that can solve that problem. Of course, from my experience as a mental health professional and relationship coach, I know that our thoughts and feelings affect everything. It has been estimated in different sources that even all of the things in the hospital, even though we look at the physical cause in the hospitals, that really over 85% of all illnesses generally that are being cared for in the hospital have their origin with stress. Speaking of that, I have another woman I've worked with today that is for the end of her career and after a very long successful career there's been some trauma that has been unusual experience for her a great successful career no troubles and challenges with her career being successful always getting the highest scores from any evaluation and now she gets a new boss someone that comes in not knowing the system and begins to change the rules, causes lots of stress, which, you know, being flexible and adapting to change is not the problem. Even though it may have some stress, it's good for us to have the ability to be flexible and make some changes. However, in her case, as she's doing her job successfully, she was accused of things that she did not do, and she was written up for that and she's never had that in over 30 years of experience and now she's getting written up for something she didn't do as a result of the stress of dealing with answering the problem with her foreman caused a lot of stress because she's always used to doing the best of job and being acknowledged for doing a great job and so this is very different for a boss to come in and say she's doing it wrong and She's doing poorly and she could be fired. And so that's a real threat to her whole life's career and belief system. And so that causes trauma. You know, we think that lots of things cause trauma. And, you know, we understand the trauma from war when you're getting shot at or other terrible things happen. And yet when there's things that come into your life that stir you to the core, and threaten your core beliefs about yourself and about the way you've been living your life, it is very traumatic. I had another woman yesterday called, I hadn't heard from for quite some time, but out of the blue, she said, hey, I'm freaking out. The cause of that actually was that she had done some genetic testing and found out that her ancestry was different than she had been told her whole life. And her race that she had been told was different than she had believed and knew to be true her whole life. Now, after 
40 years learning that what she believed was not true and that the genetic testing proved that she actually had other influences in her genetics. Uh, this is a shock to the system to find out something so huge. So I want to talk about just briefly an experience I had and still continuing on through today and how that correlates to what I'm talking about today. So last Saturday, I had a special appointment. I went to the office. It's about three miles away. And so we have a little electric scooter that I rode to the office, which is great. I enjoy the scooter. It's a lot of fun. However, scooters seem to be my nemesis. So my whole life, I'd never broken any bones, except 15 years ago, I was on a little two-wheeled scooter. Those kind of things you just push like a skateboard, but you've got the little handles and the little wheels. For some dumb reason, I was on the road going down a hill and going to visit the neighbors. As I pulled off the road and hit the dirt, those little wheels got stuck on the side of the road and it went an abrupt stop. I took a flying leap over top, probably about 10 to 15 feet further, and landed on my shoulder. It instantly snapped my collarbone in half, and that was quite an experience. So as I went to the ER, the doctor who I knew and knew me because I do crisis work, he looked at me and says, I'm sorry. He just had a lot of sympathy for me, but basically... What he did was give me a sling and give me some pain pills and told me to take it easy until that thing healed up a month or two later. So fast forward 15 years later, last Saturday, I was on a new scooter. This was one of those electric ones. I was having fun. I've been having fun going to work and back on that scooter. And for various reasons, because of the traffic flow, I took a different direction home. And as I Jumped on the sidewalk. I went down and I went to go around a corner, and there was a bush growing over the corner, which hid a cement curb that I did not see. So, as I turned the corner and hit that, I took a good tumble. It was a three point contact on my right elbow, my left knee, and then I landed finally with my right thigh on top of this scooter. I was probably traveling about 10 kilometers an hour by that point because I'd slowed down to go around the corner, but I was going too fast for the conditions and I took a tumble. It immediately hurt. I jumped up and I got back on the scooter and came the rest of the way home. And it was aching. That was fine. I just felt I was all bruised up. And then realizing the next day, the longer the time went from that, it started hurting more and more and more as my muscles and tissue and my bones swelled, even though I was putting ointments and different things on to keep the swelling down. It did swell up. It restricted my movements, which is, you know, it's, it's the body's response to injuries. Here it is five days later from that time. and. Last night, my wife pointed my elbow out and said, hey, your elbow's really starting to turn color. And indeed it was. And this morning I woke up and it went from yellow last night to very bright, 
deep purple and it covered my whole elbow probably the whole distance from below my elbow to above my elbow about a foot long and so very pretty very sore it is getting better the aching and pain decreases each day my body's healing i thank god for that anyway the point is that even though the injury was last saturday a lot of the trauma i'm experiencing from that is showing up later some of it was within a couple hours the swelling and the aching and pain and as that dissipates now the color and the bruising is beginning to surface and show i anticipate that to continue to fade and then heal and progress so correlate that to the woman who had the new boss the situation there was she went through all of the process of being written up and she writing her rebuttal getting them to change it and clarify to take the accusations that were given to her that were not true getting the record cleared up that was mostly settled and yet as she had opportunity to explain the whole situation to a higher level manager and she felt good and relief to be able to tell the story in hopes that it would help someone else to avoid the conflict and work that she had to go through that triggered her system at a subconscious level that while she was in the middle of explaining she began to realize that she was feeling severe heart pains and with those heart pains began to get severe migraine headaches and her body was really going into shutdown mode and she was believing that she may be having an aneurysm with her brain or a severe heart attack she ended up in the doctor's care then to the emergency room it's a hospital all night long several tests all kinds of tests many many tests as they went through all those they began to eliminate all the possible physical causes in the end realizing they couldn't find anything physically wrong with her and so the conclusion is it's stress induced as she was sharing with me that sounds like the good setup for some ptsd even though it's not being shot at at a core on an emotional and moral level it affects the core and it's a great trauma to feel what identity you've had your whole life is being challenged that does cause ptsd so much so that it took a hospital stay and several tests and more tests will continue to see if there's anything physical that can be found in the meantime we are working on helping her recover from that trauma so how does one do that well the basics are really important there's intervention things to do when you're in crisis mode and then there is prevention and so uh, it's important to be aware of both of those things intervention is to breathe long and slow that is impossible to have a panic attack when you're breathing long and slow on an emotional level okay so if it's emotionally caused when you focus and breathe long and slow that avoids any panic attack and even though you may have some heart pains and palpitations 
if you're not sure, get it checked out. Make sure it's not a physical heart attack or anything. But oftentimes a panic attack mimics and feels just like having a severe massive heart attack. So you got to make sure it's not that first. Knowing that it is not that and you've been checked out physically, then you deal with it on an emotional level, making sure. So addressing that. So breathing long and slow, getting away from the situation, focusing your mind on other things is very helpful. Walking around the block. And in another video that I have, uh, Emotional Freedom Technique, it's a great technique that is tapping on acupuncture points. That is a good intervention and a good prevention mode. Those are things in immediate crisis. And then kind of uh, less urgent crisis intervention and the prevention is journal writing, writing down the thoughts and feelings about situation that is causing stress or concern. When you journal those out, again, it's the expression of that and sharing them. And that's really a lot of what therapy is about, is to have the, uh, the opportunity to express verbally those thoughts and feelings and what's going on. That's why I get called at different times for a, a client to uh, share what's going on with them and that helps them uh, feel better. We go from negative panic to feeling peaceful and hopeful. And that takes half hour to 45 minutes to an hour, uh, depending on the situation. But my hope is that you can also learn to be independent and to take care of a lot of things yourself. Journaling is a really good source of that. Writing down your thoughts and feelings and your hopes and fears. I've done crisis intervention for first responders for 20 years. And there's a simple model for managers to help their employees and other people. In a sense, when I do a debriefing for a group, an ACT model, A-C-T, and that's A is for acknowledge and name the trauma. As you acknowledge the incident and talk about it briefly, you're normalizing that it's very common to have a wide range of feelings and reactions. Unusual reactions fit unusual experiences. A lot of times people are acting ways they're not used to, or their body's responding in ways they're not used to, and they say, I must be going crazy. And the answer is no, you're not going crazy. You're just having experiences that you have not experienced before. Because it's a new experience, you are having new reactions. And those new reactions will fade in three days to five or two, five days or up to two weeks. Some of those could linger. If they longer more than two weeks, then it's good to get professional help with working to overcome that. So step one, there's three steps, the, the ACT model. Step one is acknowledge and name the trauma. And it's talked about that when, if you can name it, you can claim it. And if you claim it, you own it, then you have control of it. And as you have control of it, then you can release it and no longer be bothered by that. Then you own it. The second one is communicate competence and compassion. And that's what we need to do to ourselves and to others after a traumatic event. You know, after we talk about what it was, then we talk about what we need to do to feel safe and 
can be able to share feelings and reactions, validating those reactions as normal for the situation. Like I was saying that abnormal reactions to abnormal experiences really are normal. It's not necessary to tell the whole story in all detail, not necessary to get in to have all the reactions and re-experience the whole thing. Uh, it's just to identify is sufficient and summarize and briefly share that. And then the third part, which is perhaps the most important part, is to transition to a future focus. So that's the T in, in ACT, is transition to future focus. And that's to uh, remember what has worked for you in the past to feel better, what you do to help yourself feel better. Oftentimes in group, a lot of people jokingly say, yeah, I, I go get drunk. Well, not necessarily the recommended path. Some people use that as a common thing uh, temporarily. It's important to look at the coping strategies you use to feel better. Things that make you feel worse, maybe good in the short run, but worse in the long run, really are not the most healthy responses. But the transition to future, future focus is what do you do to recover in other situations? To focus on your resiliency. What techniques do you do? How do you do self-care? Again, that gets back to journaling, walking around the block, avoiding substances, really tobacco, alcohol, and caffeine. All of those tax the body and take more effort. And so the more you refrain from those, drink more water and get rest and gentle exercise, are very healthy ways of recovering and speed up recovery. With all of that, it's important to avoid judgment and just understand and accept that things happen and it's not what happens to us that makes the most trauma, it's how we respond or don't respond that causes trauma. When there is a traumatic event, it's not unusual, really, to have a sense of increased anxiety or fear, to feel headaches or backaches or a short temper or irritability, which would cause some outbursts that maybe are not typical of you. Nightmares and sleep problems are not uncommon. Brooding lethargy. It's like always thinking about it and always feeling tired, that fatigue. And because of that, stress and feeling overwhelmed that can for a short time can cause confusion and short-term memory loss. I've had many explain to me that even their vision is poor and blurred for a while, maybe up to a couple weeks. It's not good to get an eye test for new glasses when you're in the middle of trauma because that does affect your prescriptions. It's good to recover some before you get a new prescription. Lack of concentration makes it difficult for a, a while. And because of that it's lack of concentration, it's more difficult to make decisions. It causes oftentimes fear of being alone or a tendency to withdraw. Again, some people are extroverts and some people are introverts. It's good to know what you need to recharge. Do you need time alone or do you need more time around other people? 
the key there is to look at your balance of things and not totally isolate and not totally ignore everything by distracting yourself all the time. It's important to deal with both ends of the spectrum and find a balance in the middle. Often there are physical aches and pains, fear of making mistakes more than usual, and important to be more aware of substances. We help ourselves and we help each other by being patient, listening, and trying to understand their feelings, asking how you might help, or pondering and think what help you do need. Helping take over some normal responsibilities, that's a way to help them ease their burden. You know, like maybe offer to do the dishes for them or drive them someplace and just be there supporting. Helping a person to feel safe again. Ideas might include driving them to and from work, installing safety precautions like deadbolts, new locks, you know, different things that can help that. Again, that's good prevention going forward as well. Going on normal errands. I uh, can't tell you how many stories I've heard from clients who talked about what a nice relief it was, even to tension they didn't realize after being the stay-at-home order, being home for two months and going back to the store, even with a mask on, being able to get out and about was a big stress relief. <laughs> that reminds me of my military experience and basic training. You know, we were pretty much on lockdown for the 13 weeks of training I went through. Because of my experience with driving, I had the opportunity to be a driver, which afforded me a very unusual privilege in basic training that only one other person in the whole company got. That was taking turns to lead by myself, and that was the key. Instead of having to always march in formation, I got to go early by myself and walk to the motor pool, check out a vehicle, and bring it back to the company to transport others and equipment. That 15-minute walk, picking up the vehicle and dropping off the vehicle, was like emotional heaven to be able to get out of the environment and just be there by myself and walk with that freedom and to feel that and sometimes little things can make a big difference those are different things to be thinking and considering all right different trauma events we don't always consciously know what causes things and yet often it comes out in the body and so as we recognize the things in our body then we can Take better care of ourselves. It's uh, good to look at the patterns in your life. There's like six years in a row, I came down at Christmas time with the flu and was sick for three to five days. It's like, why do I get sick every Christmas? And as I considered that, what I realized was I was so busy dealing with things, and it was very low-level stress with work and everything I was trying to keep up with, plus getting ready for Christmas. When I actually didn't have to go to work, it's also like I gave myself permission that I didn't have to get other things done, so my body says, great, I know how to take the time out. I'm going to be sick, so I don't have to worry about any responsibilities. People will leave me alone. I can be sick and have some good healing time. When I realized 
after a few years of that, I planned a couple days before Christmas, blocked out my schedule, and just took a couple days of R&R, rest and relaxation, as a preventative to avoid being sick at Christmas, which did make a difference. So when I took time and actually did that, I enjoyed the Christmas holidays, keeping up with everything without getting sick. And I did have the days of rest and relaxation without having to be sick and miserable during that time for recovery. As you look at your patterns, I would recommend planning, rest and relaxation. In the mental health world, we call it taking a mental health day. Sometimes you just stress and feel tired. It's good to block out that time just to take a break. I'm hearing echoes in my mind about many mothers said, well, how am I supposed to do that? I can't do that. I've got my kids to take care of. Well, this is true. You can't under those circumstances. So how do you adapt to that? The first line is, can you get a babysitter? Can you get your spouse to take focused time and you take better turns so you balance that out better? Or what else can you do? Sometimes you can find someone to trade with and create some time that way. Ideally, you can create this space some way by getting help somewhere so you have some time off to regroup and reset. If that's not doable for now, there's ways of creating that. I know a lot of mothers sometimes will put the kids in front of the TV. Not necessarily the best thing for the kids. However, it's better that the kids watch a little TV so you can be rejuvenated and be better for them and have better care taking care of them because you have been rejuvenated. So it's a lesser of two evils. And it's good to find ways to rejuvenate. Uh, keep the kids occupied so that uh, you can regroup and reset in other ways. Well, we will conclude uh, discussion today. Thanks for your time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you find this information and tools helpful. Please subscribe to the podcast channel so you never miss an episode. And be sure to join us next week for more great information. And of course, don't forget to check out my website, communicatinglove.com, for more information on my live webinar and other great resources and videos. Until next week, onward and upward.